everyone. I'm Patrick Fitzgerald, one of Reorg's reporters based out of our New York City office. And for the latest installment in our ongoing podcast series, we're turning our focus to direct lending and speaking with Scott Roberts, who is currently president and senior managing partner at Belvedere Direct Lending Advisors, LLC. Scott is a former head of high yield and senior portfolio manager for Invesco, where he helped build the high yield team and implement its investment and client engagement strategies during his 21 year tenure, where he guided the team in underwriting over $30 billion of leverage finance transactions throughout multiple business cycles. Scott, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me, Patrick. All right. To kick things off, I was wondering if you could give us an overview of the direct lending environment in the United States at the moment. Um, you know, it's hard to say it's not firing on all cylinders. You know, the, the growth in this space has been nothing short of phenomenal. And it's really driven not so much by the managers bringing products, but it's really driven by um, the end investor, the LPs, looking for what we say is a better lending experience. And so we've seen institutional LPs, um, and by that I mean insurance companies, endowments, foundations, corporate pensions, public pensions, shifting how they access the leveraged finance market. You know, what historically had been done through the banks in terms of broadly syndicated loans or high yield bonds, uh, clients are now choosing to access that through direct lending. And sure, there's other parts of private credit, whether it be real estate or infrastructure, you know, asset back, but direct lending, you know, those corporate loans to those 200,000 plus middle market companies, that is the driving force of the growth behind uh, the AUM growth for the whole industry. All right. At present, um, many companies are now facing double digit coupons on floating rate debt. Um, I was wondering, does this provide an opportunity for direct lenders? And if so, how would you say? Yeah, it does. Now, I mean, let's Let's go back 12 or 18 months. You know, a lot of companies were borrowing in the seven to eight percent area, and all in today, many are 11 and a half to 12. Um, it does sound high, and it is, but it's really driven by the Fed activity, right? The Fed's goal is to try and damp down on inflation, and so they're raising rates in a pretty, uh, pretty aggressive fashion. Uh, we saw that, you know, recently with Powell comments about, you know, potentially another 50 beeps in, in the coming weeks. Um, however, if you are a middle market company, and you know, you're, you're signing up for a floating rate loan, um, rates aren't gonna stay that high forever, right? That's not the Fed's goal. And so while the first year or two uh, of coupons may be higher than you know, historical standards, those will float down over time. Uh, the opportunity for uh, companies today is really, can you get the financing that you need to accomplish your corporate goal, whether it be an LBO or M&A, um, and direct lending offers that certainty of close and that flexibility of capital. Those are really important points, um, you know, for companies as they try to execute on their strategic vision. Okay, so uh, M and A has always been a significant driver of borrowing. So I was wondering what your outlook for M and A in the current, in, what your outlook for M and A is in the current environment, and how big of a driver is it of direct lending activity in the U.S. Um, what sectors would you say are driving a lot of the activity at the moment? So M&A and corporate acquisitions in general are a huge part of direct lending, uh, not just in the States, but in Europe as well. And that can be anywhere from 60 to 70% of overall volume, either LBO or, or bolt-on acquisition. And you know, direct lending is in a great uh, seat to help companies finance that. And, and the reason I say that is, 
a lot of these loans are uh, based on long-term relationships, either with a direct lender in the company or the direct lender and the sponsor. And they know um, each other's moves over time and you know, the ability to provide that flexible capital to execute on an LBO or for a bolt-on acquisition. Um, I mean, look, in Q4, companies had no other options. I don't think there was a single LBO financed in the public markets in Q4. The direct lending side uh, took all of it which, you know, if you had said that five years ago, people would laugh you out of the room. And so the ability for direct lenders to step up and provides, you know, certainty of close, flexibility of capital is a huge value proposition uh, for borrowers. And I'll give you another example. I spoke with the CEO um, of a very large uh, entity. That's a roll-up entity. Uh, they did one of the largest unit tranche borrowings in the States in 2021. And when I asked about his experience, um, with that financing, uh, his response was he would not do another BSL or high yield loan again. And I said, why was that? And he said, it was just so easy working with uh, the direct lenders who he's has relationships with for many years. And so it was a very clean financing. And so when we talk about sectors, you know, the obvious sectors are um, IT services, uh, healthcare, you know, a lot of managers talk about looking for um, recession resistant uh, businesses. You know, they want that high level of recurring revenue. And so business services or education or healthcare are always at the top of the list when we talk to managers out there. Okay, interesting. Um, if I could broaden things out to other areas of the world, um, how similar to the US is the direct lending environment in Europe and say Latin America? Are there certain structures that are more favored in those geographies? Three years ago, um, Europe and the U.S. were very different, and I would argue over the last nine months, they've become substantially similar. And what I mean by that is if you look at the European direct lending market, it's really um, the U.K., Germany, and France drive about three-quarters of the um, demand for direct lending. And if you take a step back and you look at the big picture, why, you know, why has the European market changed to look more like the U.S.? It's the same phenomenon with or secular change, really, with the banks pulling back, right? The banks used to be the go-to place, and that's completely flip-flopped, where you know, private capital and providers of private capital have been the go-to option for um, companies, not just in the U.S., not just in Europe. We're starting to see this in Latin America as well. Latin America is uh, way behind in terms of you know, where it's on the growth curve, um, but we can see commonalities between the European market, the U.S. market. And again, it's being driven, in our view, it's being driven by the, a change in how clients want to access leverage finance. And you know, I'll give you a couple of data points. Probably 90% of the deals, you know, 85 to 90% of the deals in Europe are really sponsor-driven. Um, that's a little bit lower in the States. You know, that can be around 70%, 75%. I do think in the US, we're going to see an increase in that ratio of sponsor to non-sponsor because we're seeing bigger deals. Um, there's, gonna, there's a $5.5 billion deal right now in the works. Uh, we've seen $3 billion deals in Europe. It's funny how these markets are looking really similar. Okay. Um, turning back to the domestic environment, um, what types and sizes of deals have you been seeing in the US? You know, three years ago, a $500 million deal would be big. And then everyone was excited when we saw a $1 billion unit tranche. And now we're talking five plus. Um, and when you look at the fundraising efforts by cycle tested direct lending managers, it's really impressive. You know, Aries is out there with you know a ten billion dollar uh, fundraise. You know, for Europe, um, they'll have uh, 
lots of uh, repeatish uh, interest, I, I would suggest, just given their role in the business. But they're not alone. We've seen tons of five and 10 and $12 billion fundraisers in the US, in Europe. And again, it's, it's just being driven by the client, the end client who's saying, I think there's a better way for me to lend to middle market companies. And I think it's via these structures. All right. And to wrap things up here, it seems like a lot of economists are forecasting a recession as the Fed continues on its rate tightening path. Um, so I was wondering what would be the impact of a recession on the direct lending industry? In general, um, you know, a recession is bad for tons of companies, um, whether it be earnings pressure, you know, layoffs, um, just reduced demand in general. Um, however, when you look at direct lending, there's a couple things going on right now that are really, um, really, uh, um, I'd say resilient is a word that sometimes uh, you hear in this business. But if you think about the companies today, there's less leverage on them. Uh, there's bigger equity checks coming in to fund LBOs. So less leverage, you've got better terms for um, the direct lending manager and for the end investor. And then you have better um, you know, covenants, really, better covenants, uh, better rates. And so there is room, I think, for um, a, a I, I guess there's room for negotiation with, in terms of amend and, and extend, if companies run into trouble servicing interest. Now, there's you know, a big deal in the works this week. Uh, rumors are that portion of that interest will be uh, PIC eligible, uh, potentially up to half, uh, which just means payment in kind. Um, that speaks to the flexibility of the capital that direct lenders can provide. And so the ability to have three or four lenders and say, we don't mind to take pick interest as opposed to cash interest uh, is really another selling point for the asset class. And so if we do see um, some weakness in the overall economy, you know, all companies will be affected. But I, I really think the game plan for managers is to work with existing portfolio companies to say, um, you know, maybe there's some one-time charges in here that we can uh, look past uh, and or just simply amend and extend, right? There's no reason to force some of these companies into some sort of uh, asset sell program, uh, a cost-cutting initiative if you don't need to, right? These are long-term relationships. And if we go through six or nine months of economic softness, I think cycle-tested managers can look through that and say, we have a, a portfolio of tools to help. All right. Fantastic. That was super interesting, Scott. Thanks a ton for your time and uh, hope you have a great rest of the week ahead. My pleasure. Great. Thank you. Thank you.